Welcome to Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We're glad you're here today. We've got some exciting things planned. Let me uh, just remind you, this note is in your bulletin, but the flower arrangements in the front of the sanctuary today are placed in loving memory of Jonathan Ford Humphreys by his extended family. Hear now these words from Psalm 18. I ask that you listen attentively and prayerfully to this call to worship. A great prayer of David that emphasizes God as rock, refuge, and savior. I love you, Lord, my strength, The Lord is my solid rock, my fortress, my rescuer. My God is my rock. I take refuge in him. He's my shield, my salvation's strength, my place of safety. You are the one who saves people who suffer and brings down those with proud eyes. You are the one who lights my lamp. The Lord, my God, illumines my darkness. With you, I can charge into battle. With my God, I can leap over a wall. God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is tried and true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. The Lord lives. Blessed God, my rock, and let the God of my salvation be lifted high. God, enable us to love you, serve you, and follow you so that our lives may demonstrate the redeeming love of Jesus, in whose name we pray and come before you in worship at this hour. Amen. Our hymn this morning is hymn number 590, The Solid Rock, 590. If you are able, please stand and join in singing hymn number 590. all the children to come forward. So this morning, I'm going to give each of you a sucker. But no matter what I say or do, do not open or eat your sucker. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes at school, people tempt you to do the wrong things. And it's not right, and you know it's not right, but sometimes you do it anyways because it might be fun. Well, in the Bible, there's a song, there's a verse about Jesus being tempted by the devil. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days without anything to eat. He was very hungry. The devil came to talk to him and led him away from God. 
the devil said to Jesus, if you are really God's son, turn these stones into bread. This was a big temptation because Jesus was really hungry, but he refused to give in to temptation. What are some ways God can, tempt, uh, can help you when you're tempted? Do y'all know? What's some ways, Piper? Can he help you, Piper? And steer you away? Okay. So by eating this sucker in front of you, I'm trying to show you the same temptation God was in. I'm trying to show you what temptation looks like when you were told not to do something. The next time something tempts you, remember, Jesus understands temptation and will help you resist it. So let's pray. Let's pray. Y'all ready? God, we thank you that you understand the things we go through in our life. Remind us to always turn to you when we need help. I pray for these children as they go back to school with the temptations. I pray that you help them resist the temptation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all can all eat your suckers now. It's okay. Good morning. On behalf of the missions committee, I want to come and share a little bit about the Heck Jones missions offering. Our WMU watchword for this year is unshakable pursuit. My dear friends, stand firm and don't be shaken. Always keep busy working for the Lord. You know that everything you do for him is worthwhile. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. About 131 years ago, 1888, WMU was founded. It is a missions organization whose purpose is to challenge, prepare, and equip Christian believers to be radically involved in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The Hank Jones offering is named after two past beloved members of WMU, Fanny Heck and Sally Bailey Jones, who spent their lives serving God through the missions and ministries of WMU. These ladies caught a vision for how God wanted to work in their midst and left a rich missions heritage that will reverberate through eternity. Today, the missions and ministries of WMU North Carolina are supported entirely by your gifts to the Heck Jones Mission Offering. Some of those ministries include international and national mission trips, prayer partnerships, disaster relief, Christian Men and Women's Job Corps, Hispanic WMU of North Carolina, Military Wives Ministry, Minister's Wives Ministry, North Carolina Baptist Nursing Fellowship, Prison Ministry Retreat, Red Box Ministry for Incarcerated Women, Tar Heel Talk Magazine, Children's Mission Days, Missions Extravaganza Conference, and All Age Level Ministries. WMU takes seriously the mandate to share God's love through providing avenues for preschoolers, children, students, and adults to study and experience what it means to be mission-minded. This year, the goal for Boiling Springs Baptist Church Heck Jones Missions Offering is $3,000. Those who have gone before left legacies that will reverberate throughout eternity. Yet every person in each generation must respond courageously and move toward the future God has for them. Fanny Hicks said in her final official words to WMU, endeavor to see the needs of the world from God's standpoint. We at Boiling Springs Baptist Church are responding to Fanny Hicks' challenge through our missions ministries as we prepare others to carry forth the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. May we each prayerfully consider how we might support the Heck Jones Missions Offering of 2020. Thank you, Brenda, and thank you, Sage, for a good children's lesson this morning. This morning, before I do pray, I um, want to say just a brief word of introduction. We welcome Karen Penner to the pulpit this morning. She's normally here in the choir, uh, but we welcome you to the pulpit this morning to share the morning message. Karen joined Boiling Springs Baptist Church within the last year. 
and is currently wrapping up her Master of Divinity from B.H. Carroll Theological Seminary in Texas. Karen is currently volunteering as a disaster spiritual care chaplain with the Red Cross, and as you know from our recent weather, her volunteerism has been very hectic and busy over these last uh, couple weeks. I've enjoyed getting to know Karen over these last several months. Karen preached for our 11 a.m. prayer and Bible study uh, group here just several weeks ago. And I can say with confidence that you are in treat, you're in for a treat today and you will be challenged uh, very much uh, this morning. And so Karen, thank you for uh, sharing with us today. It's been a tough week for many here at Boiling Springs Baptist. Not, and and uh, the most of which um, for Roger Ellen and Matthew Humphreys. We want to continue to remember them and lift them up in our prayers each day as they navigate a new normal and a new reality. Roger and Ellen, we love you, and Matthew, and um, our thoughts and prayers remain with you. Let's continue to remember the family of Clyde Bowen. We celebrated his life in this sanctuary on Saturday, on Thursday of this week, and continue to remember Pat as she struggles there at Cleveland Pines, and for Van and Greg as they continue to care for her. Let's continue to remember Lana Hinkle. Bob and Ray Lamb have had some struggles this week. Um, and let's certainly be mindful and thank God for his protection uh, during the, uh, you, you pick, rain, snow, tornadoes, uh, all the, the different things that we've had, but we just certainly thank God for that. And as we go into prayer and have just heard the, the challenge from the missions committee and from Brenda, let's be mindful of our missionaries who serve both here at home and around the world and their work to pray for protection, to pray for God's provision, and to pray for fruitful, fruitful ministries wherever they may be serving. So will you now join me in prayer? You are a God of the hills and the valleys. God, we thank you so much for those mountaintop experiences when all the world seems right and uh, Lord, things are at peace between family and friend and Lord, we just thank you for those opportunities to experience you in those ways. But Father, we need a special measure of grace and your presence when we are in those valleys. Lord, you know, we know that you are with us, that you never leave us nor forsake us. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But Father, today we have some in this sanctuary that are in that valley that need to be reminded of your presence. And so I pray today that they have been reminded through song and they will continue to be as we sing, as we read your word, as it is proclaimed today. Father, we do pray for the Humphreys, that you would comfort them in their grief, be a good shepherd to them during this very difficult time. We pray for the Bowens, for the other concerns that have been mentioned this morning. Father, we pray that your will would be done and that you would meet each one at the point of their need. Lord, I thank you for Karen and her um, calling that you have placed in her life to serve in the ways that she is now serving and will serve in the future. And Father, I pray that today that you would bless the, the words of her mouth and the meditation of her heart, that it may be acceptable in your sight. And Lord, I pray that you would fill her with your Holy Spirit and that you would use her to deliver the words that you would have for us to hear today. God, speak to our hearts in ways that we need to be spoken to. Challenge us and move us that we may leave this place different than how we came in. Lord, meet each one here, again, at the point of their need. Father, we think of family concerns, relational concerns, burdens we have for our church, for our community, for the world. Lord, help us to know how we can advance your kingdom as we seek to be the children that you've called us to be, the children of God. Help us to know what we can do in our world, with our families, in our community, at our place of work, and in our uh, greater community as well. Lord, we do pray for our missionaries, both here at home and around the world, that you would provide for their needs, that you would bless them with fruitful ministries. I'm thankful for this church and the different ministries and activities that uh, take place within these walls and outside these walls. Bless all of our efforts and bless this service today. May our songs, our prayers, your word, as it is read and proclaimed, bring you honor and glory. Father, we commit this time to you and we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 48 is our next hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, 48. If you are able, please stand and join in singing hymn number 48.
pray with me? Father, we thank you for bringing us all to your house safely today. We are blessed by your presence here with us. Thank you for your love and mercy. And Father, we experience your blessings every day. They are given to us freely and with love. Father, I pray that everyone here will look into their hearts and give back to you because you have given so much to us. May we all give with gladness and sincerity to give to you what is already yours. And Father, please accept these offerings this morning and use them to share your kingdom, not just here, but throughout the world. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. It's an honor to be able to bring you the message today. And I wanted to start off with a prayer for myself and for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would bless this time. Make it sacred, God, to you. We're coming, we're going to talk about a little bit of a difficult topic today, temptation. Every one of us struggles with it. So I just pray, God, that 
It would just be a message that would bring hope and comfort and a way, Lord, a path, Lord, into brightness, into lightness, Lord, a way, the Lord, that we can draw closer to you and to not be led away into a darkness that we don't want to go to. Bless my words, Lord, anoint them. Let them be from you. And open our hearts, Lord God, to receive whatever it is that you wish to speak to us today. We ask this in our precious Father's name and in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if any of you have ever seen the Walt Disney movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Has anybody seen the movie? It's, yeah, it's been around for a long time. It's part of the Chronicles of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. And some of you may have read the books, even as children, there's a series of them. Well, in this book, it's a story about four children, and they find this special wardrobe that can transport them into a magical world called Narnia. Now, one of the children, Edmund, he has a much more difficult time than his siblings do while he's in Narnia. And he struggles with some temptations for things that he really ought not to have. And he gets himself into a lot of trouble because of it. Now the scripture passage that we're gonna talk about today in James is about temptation. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna try to learn some lessons from Edmund about what giving into temptation can do to us and how we can get out of it if we do wind up succumbing to it. So we're gonna watch some video clips from the movie and we're gonna see how Edmund falls into temptation, what happens to him as a result, and how he eventually overcomes his temptation to receive the reward of the crown of life. So I want you to pay special attention to the phases that his temptation process goes through because that's what we're gonna talk about later. Okay, let's meet Edmund. special. Oh, I'm sure they're not nearly as delightful as you are. But you see, Edmund, I have no children of my own. And you are exactly the sort of boy who I could see one day becoming Prince of Narnia. Maybe even King. Really?
months. Then how dare you come along? I tried. Edmund, I ask so little of you. They, they just don't listen to me. Couldn't even do that. Oh, I did bring them halfway. They're in the little house of the dam with the beavers. Well, I suppose you are not a total loss then, are you? Well, I, I was wondering, could I maybe have a small taggish delight now? Edmund's journey into temptation. And we realize that <clears throat> he really was destined to be royalty. But he had to learn how to be a king the right way. And he had to learn some painful lessons about not taking shortcuts that were offered by temptation. Now you and I, we aren't so different from Edmund. Because if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, you're, you're also a royalty. You too are a king or a queen in training. The last scene in the movie where it showed the royal throne room, this is based out of Revelation 1-6, which tells us that we will reign with Christ when he comes back to earth in his glory. But also, just like we saw with Edmund, we sometimes try to get things the easy way, even though we know it's not the right way. So we're gonna look at this passage now in James, and we're gonna let it teach us the correct way to deal with temptation. We'll begin in James chapter one. We're gonna do verses 12 to 18. And you can follow along on the um, screen if you'd like. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, no shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, just a couple of words about the book of James. It's very practical, if you've read it recently, very practical, kind of hands-on text. Has lots of commands and imperatives. Gets down to brass tacks. 
Traditionally, it's considered to be written by Jesus' half-brother, James. Now, he wasn't a believer until after Jesus' resurrection. But really, we're not sure really authoritatively who wrote the book of James. We just know it was a guy named James. And some scholars believe that this book is a very early book written in the New Testament period. Some believe that it was rather late. But regardless, this first chapter where our passage is found, it's roughly divided into three sections. The first section is verses 2 to 11. And they focus on the trials that, 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 you know, that are outside of us that come into our lives. Now, this middle section that we're focusing on today, it's verses 12 to 18. That focuses on the temptations that are within. And then the last section, verses 19 to 27, they focus on God's Word and how God's Word can be used to help us deal with our trials and temptations. Very important part of the chapter. So what exactly is temptation? We keep talking about temptation. Well, what, is, what do we mean when we say we're tempted? Well, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, this is what it says. It says it's being enticed to do something wrong by a promise of pleasure or gain. But I like how Wikipedia defines it. It says temptation is a desire to engage in short-term pleasure that threatens long-term gains. And I like that emphasis on the difference between what we may whimsically, you know, crave in the moment versus what we truly desire for ourselves on a long-term basis because I, I think we get them confused sometimes. Now, the Bible tells us that temptation is unavoidable. Did you know that? In Matthew 18, 7, it says that stumbling blocks, temptations are inevitable. So, unfortunately, that doesn't mean that we can hike it up to the nearest mountain retreat, maybe. Or maybe we want to run off into the desert to a commune somewhere. Or maybe we just want to, you know, stay inside our door and never go out, go out and just become a hermit. You know, try to avoid temptation. You can't do it. You cannot avoid temptation. That's what the Bible tells us. And James tells us why. He tells us temptation starts here and it starts here. And you can't run away from that, right? You take it with you wherever you go. But here's the interesting thing about temptation. It shows us what we're really made of I'm going to give you an example. This is part of some wood that I found outside behind my shed. Okay, so I, I took some of it and I was like, well, maybe I can build something from it. You know, who knows? So I painted it, made it look kind of nice. And so I was like, well, I better test it, you know, make sure that it can stand up, you know, to my project. So when I started to put pressure on it and I started to see if it was going to take the stress that I could break it, oh my goodness. snapped right into. I could probably do even more. Look at there. It's rotten. And therefore, it's useless. I can't use this for anything. What am I going to build with this? Nothing. But here's the thing. How would I have known whether it was rotten or not unless I had tested it? If I had not put pressure on it and tried to prove the integrity to see if it had any structural integrity in it that it would, you know, work for my project, I'd have never known that it was this bad off. So we're like this piece of wood. The trials and the temptations, they show us what our faults are. They show us where our weaknesses are. And unless we... You know, we wouldn't find out that critical information if we didn't go through our trials and if we didn't face our temptations. So I know you don't want to hear this, but trials and temptations have a purpose. Now this brings up another point that I want to look at from the text. The Greek word that's used in this whole chapter of James, it's, it, it's used to refer to both trials and temptations, and it's the same exact word. Now why is that? 
they're two different things, right? Well, when you think about it, they're actually not that different. They're two sides of the same coin. Because most of the time, if you think about it, the trials that come into our lives, they often produce the temptations that we struggle with. Again, remember the piece of wood. It wouldn't have broken if I had not tempted it, you know, stressed it, right? So when we fail to stand up under an outward trial that comes into us, that's when those sinful desires and those impulses that are already inside us, that's when they get stirred up. That's when they start to come out. So, you know, we usually look for a fast and easy answer or something that's pain-free to get out of our trial, and that's usually when we start to fall into temptation. So we have to decide. Are we gonna give in? Or are we gonna stand up to it? Both trials and temptations have the power of splitting our godly facade to reveal a rotten and broken foundation underneath. And it's our response to the situations that come into our lives that determines whether it will be a trial that builds us up or a temptation that tears us down and destroys us. To summarize, trials, they prove us, they strengthen us, they mature us. Temptations, when we give in to them, they weaken us. They limit us. They destroy us eventually. Trials, they prove our character and our integrity. They build us up. Giving in to temptations, it deforms our character. And it feeds that fallen nature that's inside us. Trials, they're hard at first. Make no mistake, they're hard. But they offer great rewards. James, in this first chapter, he tells us patience, perfection, blessedness, eternal, enduring rewards, a crown of life. Those are some of the many benefits. But temptations, well, they're easy. Deceptively easy at first. But they have awful consequences. Broken relationships, marriages, families emotional wounds or scars that are hard to heal from, guilt, shame, self-deception. The scripture tells us that trials are used by God to test us and strengthen us and lead us into greater fellowship with him. But temptations, they're used by the devil to lure you to your destruction and away from fellowship with God. Now James is very, very adamant in verse 13. He says, temptation does not come from God. And this is important because blaming God is one of the oldest complaints in the book and I've done my share. But James insists that not only God, God never tempts anyone and he himself is untemptable. This is in line with everything scripture tells us about God. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. That's 1 John 1, 5. He cannot look upon evil or approve it. Habakkuk 1, 13. And this passage here, James 1.17 and Malachi 3.6, they say the same thing. He is changeless and in him is no variation or shadow of turning. God has no needs. He has no weaknesses. There's nothing in his character that is lacking or that needs to be added to. Temptation can only exist where something is lacking, right? You can't be tempted by something if you're already perfect and complete in all things as God is. 
On the contrary, in verse 17, James tells us God is the Father of lights. Now, this is a Jewish, an ancient Jewish expression that's referring to God as the creator of the heavenly spheres. But unlike the heavenly spheres and the planets and the suns and the, all these planetary bodies, they fluctuate, right? Have their seasons, their times. God doesn't fluctuate. He never changes. He never varies. He is eternal, complete perfection. James goes on to tell us that God is the source of all good. Every perfect gift, every good gift, that is from God. He will never, he can never send evil into your life or mine. It's completely antithetical to his very being. But he does prove us. He proved Abraham. In Genesis 22, 1, Jesus tested Philip in John 6, 6. Peter tells us, don't be surprised at all at this fiery trial that's coming into your life, like it's something strange or weird's happening to you. He says they come upon us for our testing, for our proving. So don't confuse God's attempts to strengthen you and mature you with some evil temptation. He's actually preparing you to rule with him in his millennial kingdom. So remember, just like Edmund at the end, you're a king or a queen in training. And keep in mind that whatever the situation is, God's not going to put you through something that you can't bear. He'll not subject you to a situation that's more than what you can, you know, put up with. Or, or endure, he'll provide a way of escape. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We know that verse. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have to go through some difficulty and some pain. That's not what that verse says, right? It just says he will not allow it to crush you. So, if God is not the source of our temptations, then what is? The Bible tells us there are basically two sources, the devil and our own lusts and desires. Now, we've already talked about how the devil uses temptations to lead us away from God and destroy us. And probably, you know, the most well-known examples of that is Adam and Eve, you know, in the Garden of Eden. And also Jesus' temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we can learn a lot about those, about temptations in those passages. But James, he doesn't focus on satanic temptation. He zeroes in on the temptation that comes from our own hearts. I've always found Jeremiah 17, 9 particularly uh, sobering for me. It says, the heart is deceitful above all else, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus taught his disciples in Mark 7, 20 to 23, that it's what comes out of the heart of man that defiles him, not what's outside of him. So here's the take home for this. Temptation doesn't put anything into us that was not already there to begin with. I'm going to repeat that. Temptation does not put anything into you that wasn't already there. Now, I want to look at the process of these inward temptations that James describes in verses 14 to 15. He starts off by, he paints this kind of gross imagery of being impregnated with this unholy conception. He says that when you give in to desire and if you let it drag you away, into temptation because of it. It's like you're coming in with sin and you're forming a union with it. And that desire makes you pregnant with it. You become pregnant with sin. And that sin has a gestation period, James says. He says that if you continue to feed that conception, if you keep nurturing it and letting it grow inside of you, 
In other words, if you keep going back to the sin, and again, you go back to the sin, and again, you're feeding it, you're nurturing it, you're letting it grow inside of you, and it's been, it's eventually it's gonna become full term. But at the end of that pregnancy, all the labor you put into that desire, that temptation, that sin, all the effort, time, probably money, resources, when it comes to the time of birthing, all it's going to give you is a stillborn death. Now, I know that's morbid, isn't it? But that's what the Word says. Now, on a more, little bit lighthearted uh, venue, he also gives us another analogy. And there are two key concepts of this analogy. And I'm gonna go down here to demonstrate it. The concept is being dragged away and the other is being enticed or lured. Now the words in the original language are used to describe a hunter that lures his prey or a fisherman that baits a fish. So, if I'm gonna bait you, I'm gonna take this fishing rod and my reel, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna dangle that hook out there just like that, right? That's stupid, right? You can plainly see that pointy, sharp thing at the end and you, you don't want anything to do with it, right? No, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna put something on that thing. I'm gonna cover it up. I'm gonna make, something, make it appear more delicious. So here we go. I got a nice little gummy worm here. Anybody like gummy worms? Gummy bears? Hope this thing will stay. So yeah, now don't that look more delicious? Look at that. Anybody like gummy worms? No? All right, I'm not getting too many bites on this. Don't like gummy worms? All right, how about I make it a little bit more enticing? Right? Gets a little bit better each time. How about Big old fat Hershey's chocolate bar, yeah. Come on now, it's going on 12 o'clock. I know somebody in here is hungry, right? <laughs> so that's more tempting, right? You're thinking, hmm, I don't know about that. Now, now don't pay attention to that, that old hook on there. You don't have to worry about that hook. It's not gonna hurt you not much. But you know what, I'm gonna up the ante. because I'm gonna put something on here that everybody is gonna be tempted with. Pull my little magic thing out of my pocket here. This thing doesn't tear. How about 100 bucks? Huh? I know somebody wants that. Come on, come on. Alice, come on. <laughs> That's a little bit more tempting, isn't it? hundred bucks. It goes on like this, on and on and on, doesn't it? Throughout our life, right? We get tempted by one thing, and then another, and then another. I'm taking my hundred dollars back, sorry. But you know what I think it's really like? I feel like most of the time, I'm walking around. Something like this on my head. Get <laughs> my glasses off here. Right? You ever feel like this? Just got, I mean, it's just everything. I, every, everywhere I go, there's something tantalizing me. Everywhere I look, Money, the flesh. Maybe I like to gamble a little bit on the computer or something. Sports, football. Everybody been anybody tempted to stay home and watch a football game? Right? 
This is what it feels like, doesn't it? It's just like we just get bombarded with things. It's like we can't find a way out. This is this is all around us. All right, let me get up here. I can't preach with this on, so I gotta take it off. So what do we do? I mean, if we've got all this stuff going on around us, what do we do? I got that demonstration by Francis Chan, by the way, I give him credit. So it's the last part of this chapter in James that I mentioned before. That's what's gonna help us navigate out of these temptations. So I told you there is divided into three sections. Well, that last section, 19 to 27, it talks about how we can use the Word of God to override our sinful desires and to master our temptations. But he does give us a warning. We have to do what the Word says. We can't just pay lip service to it. You gotta put it into practice. And here's the kicker. How are you going to be able to use the Word of God to help you if you don't know what it says? If you haven't spent any time in it, like maybe you pick it up on a Sunday and then the rest of the time it sits on a table or maybe in your bag or on a shelf somewhere, how are you going to use it when that bait starts, gets dangling in right in front of your eyes again and you haven't had any time in the Word for days, maybe weeks. You got nothing standing between you and that, that sin. Look at Jesus. He handled temptation. And you know the story. And I think, you know, maybe we're, we, we might think, well, this is Jesus. He can call down a legion of angels, maybe throw some thunderbolts down from the sky. Did he do that? No. What did he do when he was tempted? He quoted the word of God. Nothing more, nothing less. Only the word of God. That's how he dealt with his temptations. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and serve him only. It is written, do not test the Lord thy God. Over and over and over, he threw the word of God back into the devil's face. And he won every battle with it. Now, if Jesus had to use the word of God to fight off temptation, don't you think we should? And remember, it's deliverance through, not from. You have to go into the valley of the shadow of death and make your way through it before you can get delivered out of it. So we've taken a long, hard look now at temptation. We know where it comes from. We know how it works. We know where it leads. When a fish gets hooked, it doesn't see this big, nasty, pointy steel, right? It doesn't realize that biting down on that hook, it doesn't understand what it's gonna lead to. But you do. You know what's behind the temptation. God gave you a mind, he gave you a will, and he gave you a set of instructions. So if you keep toying with the bait, whatever your temptation is, you'll eventually get hooked and you'll get dragged away into whatever dark pit Satan has waiting for you. And it will be very hard to climb back out. Not impossible, but it'll be very hard and it'll be very painful. The trick is don't get hooked to begin with. Swim away. Swim away. Or better yet, immerse yourself in God's word. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and you will be able to stop that process of temptation before it gets to the point of no return, before that sin has time to produce that unholy conception that I talked about early. Don't let it get that far. And here's another reason. God is better. He is. He's infinitely better, eternally better. I don't care how long you've been indulging in your sin or your temptation. I don't care what you think you get out of it. God is better. Choosing some worldly pleasure, no matter how wonderful it might be at first, because it's not going to stay that way, is still like trying to suck water out of a mud hole when you could be standing under a gentle waterfall with your, with your mouth just wide open, drinking. And make no mistake about it, what we do here, what we learn, how much we let Christ grow in us, it's directly proportional to how much we will be able to enjoy God when we get to heaven and receive that crown of life. Think of yourself like a container that can hold a certain amount of God's love. Do you want to be a thimble? Or do you want to be a bucket? I want to be a bucket. Maybe you're not even sure what God's love is. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior of your life, this is a good opportunity to do that. Because let me be very clear, Jesus has the power to deliver us from the deepest, darkest pits that either Satan or our own depravity can throw us into. And he can save you right here, right now. Don't let temptation rule your life. Let Jesus rule instead. You know, we're going to sing it as well with my soul. You know, though trials may come, those sea bills roll over me, this one thing I know, that God has saved me, he's given his life for me. I'm going to ask Pastor Keith to come up, in, up front as we close. If you want to talk with him or, or, or if you want him to pray with you, do that as God speaks to your heart as we sing our closing hymn. Will you come?